As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money, and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance, a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It is uh, Henry Zamodi. Henry Zamodi. Henry like Zamodi. <laughs> Man, I just mispronounced my own name. This is not a good start. <laughs> it's Henry Zamoda and Daniel Abdul-Jabbar. What's going on, man? What's up? I prefer not to be named Daniel, though. <laughs> I called you Daniel? Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, oh, good. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. Um, I hope you're all having a uh, nice Monday. I believe that's when this episode is going to drop depending on weather circumstances, obviously, but I uh, hope everyone's doing yeah. well. Um, there's a couple of things in the news that I wanted to, or that we wanted to discuss uh, that kind of go along with a lot of the other things that we've been talking about. Um, mm-hmm. First thing I want to talk about, though, is that I got a deep tissue massage yesterday, and oh, yeah? it was by a man, first time. Really? So, yeah, so um, huh. my girlfriend and I, we went, and got a couple's massage, which was very nice of her. It was her idea. Um, I love it. It Gr- was a Groupon? Su- it was a surprise. I don't think it was a Groupon, no. It was one of those really sketchy Asian places that, like, you need to, <laughs> like, knock in a certain code for them to let you in. And it may or may not be an opium den. So you get inside, and we, we had one. And, and I was expecting to have a woman do my massage. I, I've never had... A, uh, a, ma- a male massage before in my entire life. Never so, had a man touch you like that? <laughs> I mean, not that I ha- would have a problem with it, but I was a little surprised when a man walked in. And I've always imagined if I was going to get massaged by a man, it would be like a big sumo wrestler, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was kind of a, you know, a skinny, like a you know, dainty guy. Not, not really a dainty guy, but an average sized man. And he asked, he's like, do you want it hard? So I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Like, if I'm going to have a man massage me, I might as well have it hard, right? This guy took his elbow and basically for an hour beat the shit out of me. (laughs) I love those massages. Just just beating the shit out of my back. He, like, beat up my butt. Like, he started started elbowing my ass. He beat up your butt, really? (laughs) He started elbowing my ass for a good... 15 minutes and at that time i was like i started thinking i'm like well this is the time to, to see if uh you could last in prison <laughs> can you last in prison right now i was thinking about that because it was just like a drill up my butt it was um it was quite the experience but today i, I feel like i actually just had like a crazy workout 
Like so, he did something, but um, it was it was quite the experience. I, I recommend getting massaged by man. Yeah, I love it actually. I I, pr- I prefer it. Um, they're stronger for sure, and they get out those uh, those knots. You know, if you well, want like some some cute Swedish massage, then yeah, sure, whoever. But if you, if you're looking for deep tissue stuff, like I need I need some mass behind the massages. You know, and you know, typically speaking. Not, you know, there are some big women masseuses, but uh, the guys can really get in there. So, Elga, yeah. I, I want, if a woman's massaging me, I want Elga <laughs> from Belarus, who has a unibrow. I want, I want Brienne of Tarth to yeah, massage me. Yeah, I want Brienne of Tarth. <laughs> but uh, this guy uh, really did a number on me. Um, so, I hopefully everyone can nice. share I- the experience of getting massaged by a man. <laughs> How do you feel after it? Good? I sore. I feel sore. <laughs> that's how you know it worked. <laughs> yeah, that's how that it was like a foam roll being foam rolled for an hour and a half. That's awesome. And it was cheap <laughs> as fuck too. It was like thirty bucks. And I've Damn. had deep tissue massages before by and usually they're by women. And they did not even get like this was the best one I've ever had in my entire life. That's awesome. Did you leave him a good Yelp review? Yes, I did. That's awesome. I, I gave him the happy ending. <laughs> all right so we got it let's talk about uh today's topics so a number of things that we wanted to speak about um i think the first thing on the list uh something that we spoke about before we had a whole episode on this was the saudi i guess the secret nuclear deal uh with the trump transition team with saudi arabia Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, just to give you kind of, of a refresher, um, members of the Trump transition team, they tried to push a nuclear deer, deal through uh, with Saudi Arabia to start developing nuclear plants. However, the problem was is that they didn't go through the process of having the Saudis sign a one two three agreement. And right. what a one two three agreement does, it prevents the proliferation and, and basically the enriching of uranium so they could eventually use them as a uh, bomb or a weapon of some sort. Right. So I believe it was a couple days ago, Rick Perry approved the U.S. to uh, preliminary work on nuclear power ahead of any deal. But we're not going to be shipping equipment that would go into a plant yet. I mean, that's got to go through Congress. And that that's kind of the whole, like— the whole controversy that was, you know, behind, uh, you know, our, our episode on that was that you have to go through the proper channels to to disseminate this very sensitive technology. You know, the, the TLDR or TLDV, I guess, too long, didn't watch, um, of that video that we did on it uh, was that, you know, there's not a whole lot different behind the technology to enrich uranium for commercial purposes, you know, for civilians and for making weapons. You just kind of leave the material in there longer and enrich it to a higher grade in order to make bomb material. So, you know, that's why when we set up uh, nuclear facilities all around the world, it's got to be approved by Congress, understandably so, because it would give this technology to just anyone. They can I, they can themselves either use it for nefarious purposes or that technology can be leaked to other nefarious com- um, countries or, or entities, states, things like that. So that's why it's, it's really important, um, and I'm not surprised. I'm not not at all surprised that this deal went through. Well, the reason why is because um, there's competition a competition between South Korea and Russia on mm-hmm. the same deal with the Saudis. 
So the U.S. is trying to win that deal by preliminary doing work on it. So they can be like, well, we already started doing work on it. Like you have to go through th- through the deal because there's there's going to be it's, there's going to be a lot of money involved. Um, yeah. I believe there's the one company that is uh, responsible for building all these nuclear plants is uh, ICP3 mm-hmm. International. Um, That's great. Mm-hmm. That, that company, it's all like um, – it's all like former members of the State Department, and mm-hmm. they—that's the one deal that they're it's working. The only on. thing they're working on. Right? It's the only, the only thing only that thing. they're working on. And then there's like a lot of generals, and uh, I think Flynn is is an advisor, or at least he was an advisor of the company. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those like kind of um, Flynn's going to jail. <laughs> get rich, yeah. Well, it's one of those get rich, one of those um, ways that generals try to profit off certain that's deals. Right. That's, That's right. what it really is. At the end of the day, they're trying to push this through deal through through this deal. They're trying to push this deal through because everyone on this board is going to make a shitload of cash on it. We're talking about mm-hmm. billions of dollars, man. Billions um, with a B. Mm-hmm. Billions with a B. Mm-hmm. So they're just trying to capitalize right now, and uh, they're trying to push this through as fast as possible. I don't know, man. I uh, I, th- I think we're you know we're not. We're not shy about our our um, our questioning of uh, you know Saudi foreign policy, and to say that I'm concerned it would be putting it lightly, um, you know. So let's just hope that it goes through the proper channels, that they're transparent, and that they allow you know um, uh, the proper people to come in and check them out and make sure that they're doing it right and that they're not enriching anything <laughs> that they shouldn't be. Uh, and hopefully we don't have any problems, and you know maybe the the positive benefit if we if we want to be optimistic about it is that we make a bunch of money off of it, which is fine, I guess. Well, these gen- these people who are on the advisory committee and the board of IP3 International are going to be the ones who make a lot of money out of it. Right, right. I mean, yeah, there's going to be people who are going to be working Americans that are, would be working on those nuclear plants, but like besides that, how does it benefit anyone else in this country? Yeah, I mean the distribution of wealth wouldn't necessarily go around very wide. <laughs> the, the silver, the, the silver yeah. lining, I guess, would just be like more if you believe in nuclear energy as you do and as I do as well. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of nuclear energy for the future. Um, mm-hmm. Then it we're just it's part it's a step in creating a world where we can use nuclear energy to power our economies, but. That's right. I mean, that's that's the only silver lining in it. But I mean, for Saudi's yeah. case, it's more so just a way for them to. I mean, it's obviously any country would want to do it. Um, Saudi, they use uh, in the Middle East by far. They they consume the most amount of fossil fuels. Um, that's right. In the Greater Middle East, they want to be able to ship out more oil and just ship out more petroleum products and not have to use that to sustain. Right. Um, their own population, um, the birth they're, rates. They're following, yeah, they're following the ten crack commandments. Don't get high on your own supply. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's exact exact same reason why Iran wants nuclear powers because they want right. to be able to ship out more oil, which makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's kind of like my my take on it. I don't know if you have anything to add on it before we get on to uh, kind of the the crux or the the meat and potatoes of today's show. Yeah, I mean, I, the only thing I'll, I'll add on to that is just like I'm I'm curious to watch this a little closer to see how, you know, how this pans out to see how if there's going to be a fight in Congress about it, <laughs> about whether or not we give them the tech at all. Um, and uh, and then if we do, uh, I'm curious to watch 
and see how 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 much uh, the Saudis cooperate with uh, international protocol on 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 this sensitive technology. So we'll be watching it. We'll be covering it. You know, whenever yeah. it comes up, we'll we'll talk about it. A spoiler alert. I'm just going to make a prediction. They're not going to cooperate or go through the proper <laughs> channels whatsoever. No, no. And there's probably going to be a big Congress fight about it, too. So and it's going to we'll be see. super, super secretive on the Saudi side. And it's yeah. just going to be a mess. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I'll add one more thing. Saudi already kind of has access to nuclear energy through Pakistan because right. Saudi subsidized that program in Pakistan. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not like they're not video. completely without access to nuclear power, nuclear technology. Um, it's a matter of I, I actually really do think this is a matter of them trying to build plants and not build nuclear bombs to blow up Iran or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, like as far as like the the proper protocol, no, I don't think they're going to go through it. Um, all right, so here is the interesting thing that uh, appeared in the news and we were actually going to talk about a different topic but this was just so juicy that we had to bring it up um so some members of the saudi hit team that killed jamal yashogi received training in the u.s according to the reporting of david ignatius of the washington post and uh, i'll add that his interviews uh, included dozens of uh U.S. and Saudi sources, and they all requested to remain anonymous. Mm -hmm. Um, The operations training that the Saudi hit team received in the U.S. might have been conducted by Tier 1 Group, an Arkansas-based company. And uh, the training was part of a wider intelligence and defense partnership between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia and was conducted under a State Department license. All right. We've talked about Jamal Khashoggi a lot, right? Yes, we have. Oof. And um, what I found really interesting, and no, I'm not surprised. I, I don't think this is juicy as in, like, this is surprising news that this Saudi hit squad was trained in the United States because that happens all the time. We cooperate mm-hmm. with the Saudi, <clears throat> with Saudi Arabian intelligence all the time in training their mm-hmm. whatever, training their police um, their troops and shit. their troops. Right, yeah. Mohammed bin Nayef, the former crown prince, um, you know, the king of counterterrorism in Saudi Arabia. I mean, he was trained by the FBI. He was trained That's by Scotland right. Yard. So a lot of this happens. We train. We train. I, I mean, this has been going on for many, many years. Let's just be completely honest. We've been training Saudi Arabians uh, in the art of war since we started training the Muhajideen with them. So this is something that's right. been going along. There's many, 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 many cases that you can call out um, of us cooperating and training Saudi Arabian intelligence and stuff. That's right. But what and, I and, found... And it makes, it makes oh, total sense, too, that we... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it makes total sense that we're training up our allies. You know, like, we, we, we've we got this thing that we can share, right? We're pretty good at war, right? Um, and, you know, obviously we want our allies to be just as well equipped and and just as good in the field as us because we have interests there right so if if we go into a firefight with some of our allies we want to make sure that they're you know on the same par or at least close uh to what to where we're at so like it's not necessarily nefarious that we're training you know uh foreign nationals uh in in our arts of war uh what is kind of interesting is you know the aftermath of that and, and and i'll let you get back into it sorry for cutting you off oh no it's it's 
it's not nefarious in nature to train an ally, but it's nefarious in nature. When your ally is Saudi Arabia, then it's nefarious <laughs> in nature just because you're training an ally that's not very good. Um, right. To their and, defense, though, they, they, they haven't yet um, admitted that uh, the people that were actually on the hit squad were, were in, were trained by, um, by this group. They're being a little um, quiet about it. But then again, they were also quiet about the whole Khashoggi thing for a minute too, until they got caught. Well, what I found, what I find interesting about this is that it opens up the conversation for where these guys are being trained. And I'm going to share my computer screen because I, I, I'm very interested in this tier one group. Yeah. uh, Let's, share the screen where the fuck is the share button here we go so this is tier one group training you for tomorrow's threats (laughs) get our capabilities brief (laughs) let's go down T1G is dedicated to providing the highest level of training across the operational spectrum. We combine the synergy of real-world experience, institutional knowledge, and purpose-built facilities to exceed the demands of our clients. T1G continuously anticipates the next evolution of conflict and adapts our core competencies to meet this ever-changing operational landscape. (laughs) This website is so badass. I want to hear the like, you know the, the the famous like movie announcer guy say it in that voice. Training for tomorrow's benefits. <laughs> like <laughs> everything about this page is just like badass. Like a, it screams toxic masculinity. <laughs> oh man, but it's uh, uh don't scare away our audience, guys. <laughs> uh, if you're listening, I didn't mean you. <laughs> don't scare away our audience with that libtard language. Um, all right. The T1G difference, 100% readiness and less with measurable cost savings. T1G is uniquely qualified to assist and support Tier 1 and Tier 2 SOP-specific requirements, as well as conventional special purpose forces, law enforcement, and OGAs. I don't know. I can go on reading this website, but I just think it's so, like, I just love the color scheme. Yeah, and just from everything, the from the badass videos in the background, this website yeah. is just fucking killer. And for yeah. those of you who are listening, um, we're 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 actually video casting this as well, and we have it up. Um, it's just fucking cool as shit. I'll just say that. But if you and want, Danny, some, you some, talk because there's background. a fucking siren. Yeah, yeah I hear, it. I hear you, I hear you. Um, you know, if if you want to check it out yourself, and you're only on the podcast right now, just go to t one g dot com. It's literally that short. And just scroll around a little bit. It's um, it's interesting. Um, and if you have the time, take a look at their promo video because it's absolutely epic. Um, I think uh, <laughs> I'm kind of getting sold on it. I'd love to go there for a weekend and do a little bit of training. How about you, Henry? I would love it. I would fuck it. All right, let's go to their YouTube channel. All right. <laughs> Tier one group. Can we talk about what they used to be called for a second? Oh, like yeah. Before they became Tier 1 group? Like, as if Type this it, wasn't... I think they were called Aggressive Training Group. <laughs> aggressive. Hold on. t one Look it up. Get, so we get the yeah, exact yeah, words. Yeah, yeah. T1G. Uh, 
Okay, so tier one group, formerly known as Aggressive Training Solutions, <laughs> located in Crawfordsville, Arkansas, founded by retired Marine Steve Reichert. So yeah, Aggressive Training Solutions. This is... <laughs> This awesome. is <laughs> this is so funny. All right, look at uh, just look at the background of this. Like, look at the channel art for this YouTube channel. Jesus. Like, there's ha! I got you, terrorist. I got you. There's all right. So there's a guy dressed up in like a terrorist uniform. So he's he's just all geared out in Islamic he's attire, got, and he's got an his, Arabian his AK-47. You know, his with Kalashnikov his, <laughs> with his Kalashnikov. <laughs> With uh, with a headdress, uh, sunglasses, and it's a firefight. They're about to engage in a firefight, and some like, I guess um, some. What's up with that dude in the background? Yeah, like, what is he what is doing? He, he's like carrying flour. I don't know. What is, he's like carrying groceries or something? I don't know what he's doing. That's crazy. I don't think he's supposed to be there. No, or maybe he's a. Coach. He's probably very shocked. He's, he walked into the shot, but it's a fire. It's a firefight, and like. This doesn't even look like a. This doesn't. This looks like a like a stage. Yeah, it looks like a set. Yeah, it looks like it looks like a set. It doesn't look. It, it looks like the most Middle Eastern. Pl- it looks like a like a. It looks a, like a map on like the first Call of Duty. You know, like yeah, like Modern Warfare. You know, like Call of Duty Modern Warfare One. Like one of the maps on there. But dude, this like is what this looks like. Do. Arab cities look like this that much? Like, don't they're most of them are urban, I, right? Like, they I, have, look like, I have no idea. This looks like it's straight out of Baghdad from the 12th century. This looks like it could be in, on Tatooine, like in Star Wars. <laughs> like, Dude, that's what exactly. I wouldn't be surprised if they filmed the same set there. But yeah, it looks like yeah. Tatooine in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go to their uh, promo video. All right, let's. I don't know if we can get the audio coming through on this, but it's very aggressive. Oh like, my god! We'll we'll like overlay metal it the, basically for, for the podcast so everyone can hear what we're listening to, and for Absolutely. people who are listening to the podcast on iTunes, when we play this, just close your eyes and imagine what you're thinking. Like, what do you think is going on? <laughs> metal music well it's, it's actually not that heavy but it's like your stereotypical new metal sound a bunch of people jumping out of helicopters there's a humvee jumping over the hill doors exploding and they're doing the breaches oh and the crown vicks holy <laughs> shit how many crown vicks are we gonna see they're just rolling around in these crown victorias doing like barrel rolls and shit like that like pit maneuvers dude this, this is, is fucking awesome yeah, <laughs> this is fucking awesome. I want to go. I want to go. It looks like fun. <laughs> oh my god! Little bomb robot, <laughs> dude. This is this promo video has, is giving me. It, it wants me to ditch all my 
lame non-interventionist crap. Like, this is how cool this video is. <laughs> it's kind such of. a sick video. Like, I'm, it feels, you know, it feels so like Team America World Police. Like, it's like, Fuck. oh, America! <laughs> Fuck yeah! <laughs> this is this is awesome. Yeah, I would love to spend a weekend doing this shit. Like, you know, what, what do I got to do to sign up? Like, how much does this shit cost? <laughs> Can Dude, I join? It is unbelievable. Um... It looks super cool. I'll just say it. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But I guess the point. I guess the point is, it's just it's really interesting. And let me just fucking. You want to see stop. my notes? I don't want you to know I have a script. Fuck. <laughs> stop sharing. <laughs> Am I not sharing anymore? No, you're not. All right. My social security number was right there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh shit. All right. Well, I just find it super interesting that. I guess this is what is used to train the Saudi police and intelligence. And I guess I'm a little, I guess I'm just, I I, I need to throw my ignorance out there um, on this. I I just didn't, I did never looked into one of these, uh, these like security groups. Apparently though, they didn't do a good enough job because they did not train that Saudi hit squad properly. And getting no. away with what they did. No. And no. you want to know the truth about, like, here's what I think would happen with, with Khashoggi. So, Khashoggi, they try, I don't think they were trying to kill him at the consulate in Turkey. What I think happened is that they were trying to abduct him and bring him back to Saudi Arabia so they could interrogate him over a, a longer period of time. Um, I think that was botched. I think they killed him by accident. Mm-hmm. And you can even, the, the evidence is, is that they bagged him. They basically, they put a bag on his head and he, the last words that were recorded is that I can't breathe or, or I'm breathing, I'm suffocating. I paraphrasing it, but you know, so do you think he, he died? And he, said like... he, had, he said he had asthma. So apparently I, I think they killed him by uh, bagging him up due to his, his uh, respiratory problems, his health, his, his own, his, his health issues. And mm-hmm. when they killed him, they were like, it was they like, panicked. yeah, they panicked. It was like a Pulp Fiction, a, you know, a, a just shot Marvin in the face type kind of situation, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, they, I think they accidentally killed him. And I don't know if they panicked. They were just like, fuck, we, we, we got to get rid of the body now. And um, that's why he's he's dead. I Maybe if they didn't botch that, they would get him back. They would have got him back to Saudi Arabia. But you have to ask I mean, the question: it, What do you think they would have done to him once they got it, back? Once they got him back to Saudi exa- Arabia? Exactly. He would have been as good as dead if they if they were to uh, successfully abduct him and bring him to uh, Saudi Arabia. Well, what I think could have happened is that they. You know, they, they could have put him under some torp of some type of house arrest or some type of uh, prison sentence or put him in a hotel and just over many... You're going to put him up in the Ritz-Carlton with the rest of those guys that they, they did? Could have, <laughs> they could have done something. They could have done that. They could have put him up in the know. Ritz-Carlton. But I think most likely, because of his deep ties with the CIA, because of his deep ties with Al-Qaeda, some of his deep ties... And frankly, his deep, his ties, deep ties with the United States. Like, he, he's, he, he was... Um, He's obviously not a citizen, but he was a permanent resident here, and he has United States citizen children. Do you think, like, they would just sit around and be like, yeah, cool, you can abduct my dad and hold him hostage in your country against his will? Like, that'll fly over just fine. No. No. 
Absolutely well, his, not. Not just that, but he had deep. Yeah, he had deep ties to the CIA. He's dude. He was a Washington Post journalist. Right. The, the CIA newspaper. You know what I mean? Like the the most the most Washington establishment publication in the world is is the Washington Post. Um, living in Virginia, like dude, of course, he had deep ties with the CIA, deep ties with Al Qaeda. He was a journalist that covered Bin Laden. Um, his uh, his uncle was one of the biggest arms dealers in Saudi Arabia. He had a very, very close relationship with, he was the advisor for Prince Turkmen. Um, mm-hmm. He was just, he wasn't just some dissident journalist. Like I, right. like he wasn't like, I hate the fact that the story gets spinned is that he was just some type of voice for reason and in, in, in progress. And he was a critic of uh, Mohammed bin Salman, which he um, was in, in the he, end. He was, which he, which he was a, he was a critic, but he was a critic of MBS because of his because of how he went about taking power. He wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily a critic on like the 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 structure the of plan. Saudi Arabia, <laughs> like the yeah, political yeah, yeah. system, the monarch, like the the overall monarchy of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. He was a Saudi nationalist, and he was also a very hawkish in Iran. Like, you know, he represented a lot of the policies that that Saudi Arabia would like. So he wasn't just mm-hmm. some dissident journalist who was, who was like the, you know, the lone wolf type of guy who was going out and trying to expose Saudi Arabia as some, you know, terrible, horrible place. I mean, that information is already pretty much out there. But right. um, it had more, like the way this look went down, the way that he was kidnapped, the way that he was abducted and, you know, they... It, it it speaks to something a lot deeper. So you have to ask the question, what do you think that is? Like, do you think it's because he knew something? Do you think he was just a CIA spook, a double agent? Like, I don't know. I don't fucking know what he was. Um, you can only I don't think we'll ever know. Really. Yeah. You can only really speculate, really, by looking at... We won't know going... until HBO makes a movie out of it. <laughs> yeah, but with, if HBO makes a movie out of it, it's not going to be right. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Well, are any of those movies right? <laughs> That's a great transition. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because I just great recently for... watched a good HBO movie. This, that's a great transition topic. for our next topic. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, Swedish-made penis enlargers. No, we're going to be talking about... Um, so I watched a movie the other day called The Pentagon Wars. Mm-hmm. And I guess this segues into kind of like the military-industrial complex type thing. That yep. uh, so we watched. I watched a movie called The Pentagon Wars, and it was about the Bradley fighting vehicle. That's and, right. Um, 
basically it was about kind of reformers in the Pentagon who were who were speaking up against um, the Bradley fighter vehicle that wasn't combat ready when they were trying mm-hmm. to manufacture it. And it was just a whole big thing. And all these generals were adding ridiculous modifications to it. And the whole thing ended up being um, a disaster. And it, it's kind of similar to the F-35 project right now where the F-35 can do a million different things, but um, That's right. it's harshly criticized um, mainly because of its cost and, um, some of it's on field among experience. many other things yeah <laughs> among many it's cost and yeah. among and many many other things such as it falling out of the sky uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't meant to be in the sky in the first place so <laughs> it wasn't meant to be in the sky it was meant to be 20 feet up in the sky just as a hovering a cool hovering craft <laughs> um but i don't know can you further summarize the movie danny yeah, yeah. So um, the 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 big plot is um, the development of the uh, Bradley AFV or armor um, armored fighting vehicle, um, and it's set in the late eighties, uh, um, uh, around the time that uh, they were running some uh, final tests uh, to see if it was combat ready to go on, on out and onto the field. Um, so awesome and funny movie, by the way. You know, I literally just finished the last bit of it uh about like an hour or two ago it's, ter- it's hilarious but by it's, the way it's terrific yeah, kelsey kelsey Grammer's in it you know he he does a really good job um the guy who plays uh um uh colonel burton um is uh fuck what's this guy's name let me look it up uh carrie Hughes or some shit like that I've, the mom's Elvis? boyfriend the mom's boyfriend in uh, liar liar who's not jim yeah. carrey yeah, yeah, that that guy. Um, also did a really stand-up job. Um, I thought it was dope. Um, it was funny and it was poignant and it, and it it honestly reminded me of our talk about the F thirty-five, you know, and uh, you know some of the trouble that that it's getting itself into in its development, procurement, and ultimate sale. Um, but this obviously got me super excited uh, about doing a you know, uh, another military tech, uh, show. We haven't done one in a little while. Um, so, you know, I I think we're just going to want to talk a a little bit about the Bradley fighting vehicle and make some, some fun comparisons and contrasts to the, uh, to the movie itself. So I don't know if you can go, can you go on to, you're much better at this. So like, what is a, an AFV? Like what, what purpose does it serve? Yep. So it's an armored fighting vehicle. Um, which is a super vague term. And I would forgive you if you took a look at the, a picture of one of these vehicles, and I'm sure you're going to pop one up in the video uh, right here, Henry. Um, if you looked at this thing and you was like, oh, that's a that's a tank, um, I would totally forgive you for, for thinking it was. Um, it's not, but uh, it totally looks like one. So it's a it's its main function, or at least the function that it's in, it was initially intended for, is a troop carrier, right? They say in the movie it's like a taxi cab for soldiers, right? Um, it's just like this big, uh, uh, vehicle on tracks similar to, uh, a tank that, uh, in, originally intended they wanted to, sh- uh, ferry like 11, 12 soldiers in addition to a small crew, um, across the battlefield to get them where they need to go relatively safely, but definitely very quickly. Like that was, that's the intended result. Um, now the, uh, the F in the armored fighting vehicle, uh, portion of it uh, means that it it's it is outfitted with some armaments some weapons to be able to defend itself right it's not just a sitting duck it's 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 not an uber for for the uh, um for the armed forces like it does have 
a gun on it. And I think the was funny about the um, the movie that I loved uh, was when they pointed out how it transitioned from just literally a troop carrier with a with a modest gun on top to protect itself to this ridiculously badass looking thing that we have now. Um, so initially it was just like a big, you know, van with on on treads uh, with with like a 50 cal on top. And now it straight up looks like a tank. And and that's what an armored fighting vehicle is. <laughs> but like what are the like what are so like what were the issues with Can you outline the issues with building the Bradley? Like what exactly happened? Like why where did all that shit like where where did things go wrong? Yeah. Um so I mean there was a number of things that went wrong and I think I, I kind of started pointing out the biggest reason um that it went wrong was because it the its initial purpose was to carry troops quickly and effectively across the battlefield and then it morphed into this uh you know catch-all vehicle uh that we have today um so maybe before i jump into that i just kind of want to talk a little bit about it itself uh some of the history of it this way i can give it a little bit of, of context to like where it is today so the thing was built by bae systems or bay systems it was named after uh general omar bradley uh, who was a, a um, an officer, a high-ranking officer during World War II, uh, and uh, started the the development in like the 60s. It's began into production in the 80s. Um, we have currently built like 7,000 of them, just under 7,000 of them. Um, they cost about three million a pop, which is go figure more than what was estimated. <laughs> um, and initially, it was like I said, set up to carry. Uh, three crew, so it would be a gunner, um, a commander, and a driver, right? Plus 11 or 12 guys in the back, troops. And what it is now, there are two variants. So there's the M2 variant. The M2 is the fighter vehicle, right? And that one carries six to seven troops, um, fully armed to the teeth. Uh, and the other variant is the M3 cavalry, and that one carries just... The, the th- original three crew, plus two more uh, uh, soldiers, plus a buck ton of armor. Um, so to, to bring back a point that, that, that uh, I was making earlier, a big problem with, this, with the development of this was that it was initially intended just to carry troops. But a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, army guys, you know, joint, you know, bigwigs got together and they were like, yeah, that's cool. Wouldn't it be also cool if it had a really big gun on top? Because, like, you're not going to kill anybody with that little pea shooter on top. And then they stick a giant turret on it, right? 25-millimeter cannon that fires 200 rounds per minute, right? And then, okay, well, that that brings up a big problem. If there's a giant-ass cannon on it, then if your enemy sees it on the field, they're going to prioritize that. They're going to think, that's a threat. We need to take that down. All right, well, that sucks. Let's think about the armor then, right? It's It needs to be much more heavily armored because if it's going to take a round from a tank or a rocket-propelled grenade or some shit like that, it needs to be able to defend itself. But, oh, wait, the initial in, uh, like like intended use of this thing was to move quickly. If you slap on a bunch of armor, you know, it's just going to slow the vehicle down. And then they were like, all right, well, that's a good point, so fuck it. Let's just, let's just instead of being, like they say in the movie, instead of being reactive and just put a bunch of armor on it, let's be proactive and stick a, a literally a anti-tank tow missile on it. Let's, let's put a tow missile on it. And then they were like, all right, cool, and we also want this thing because we need a scout. We need a scout vehicle, 
and this this Bradley vehicle's already been appropriated, so we also want this to be a scout vehicle. But then they're like, oh shit, this can't be a sneaky stealth scout vehicle if it stands over ten feet tall with a giant ass gun and a anti tank missile launcher. Like what the fuck? So. Basically, they just kept tacking on all of these extra features that they wanted this vehicle to be and to do. And ultimately, what they came up with was a vehicle that was prone to a lot of issues. And I'll talk more about some of those issues, but I want to get some of your initial reactions on like what, you know, why this thing was such a problem to develop. It was just a symptom of the military industrial complex just trying to make it as expensive as possible trying to add all these stupid modifications to it to make it do everything when it can't do one thing good like right that's my biggest that's my criticism of the f-35 like yeah they try to make it do a million different things and it can't do one thing really good yet and i mean who knows what the future is of the f-35 they make the improvements but it's still going to cost trillions of dollars it's going to cost just it, it has cost a trillion dollars. The program's yep. est- what's it's estimated over a trillion right now. That's right. It's over it's over a trillion right now. It's a trillion fucking dollars for a plane. It's the most for, expensive for military thing. Yeah, most expensive military thing on the planet in the history of forever. Like, think about that. Like, yeah. we have other fucking jets. That's right. You know, we Good have F twenty two. We have awesome yeah. jets like the F twenty two. Like, we have all this awesome military technology and it just seems like these projects they're built not in the mind for the safety of american soldiers or you That's know right. whatever as sold just any soldier on the ground they're built or in the air for, for that matter yeah they're they're built for profits and they're just built for make they're trying to make the most expensive military equipment rather than the best military equipment and that's why you see things you see russia building things like um you know the s400 which is for all intents and purposes it's better than um the best thing in its category it's the best thing in its category it's uh better than thad it's better than fucking yep the iron dome it's better it's in you know they're not they don't have the capital. Like Russia doesn't have the capital to invest these billions of dollars into this military equipment. So they have to be resourceful and they have to make the best equipment and they have to be, they have to use their head and, and think right. about battlefield circumstances. That's right. Also and they're it, fucking Sequoia. Like you can talk to their Sequoia as well. The like their Sequoia awesome, would yeah. fucking, if a, F, if an F-35 pilot got into a dogfight with a Sequoia, that pilot would be fucking dead. Right. But I guess I, the, the, the point of the vehicle of the um, F-35 is not to dogfight. Uh, and th- this kind of highlights a little bit of the problems of the Bradley, right? So with the F-35, a, bu- a bunch of joint chiefs of staff got together and they were like, hey, we all need a new next generation airplane. Um, but we wanted to do like a million fucking things. But we want one airplane so that it could be economical. Uh, and the, the fucking Marines are like, yeah, well, I want a jump jet, which is like a Harrier, where it's like, stationary prone and it just like takes off like a fucking it's it's miraculous it's crazy um but the navy's like no i want one with wings that collapse so we can you know put it on an aircraft carrier and the army's like well you know i want this other one that can drop ordnance on on a bunch of uh uh, targets so it's, it's a bunch of competing demands um and what like the idea behind the f-35 and and to my point the 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 bradley armored fighting fighting vehicle the the point behind him is pretty awesome but what ends up happening is you get a bunch of competing priorities, right? 
everybody wants something out of it, uh, whether that's a functionality, a capability, or in many cases in the military industrial complex, whether it's just frankly to make a fuck ton of money, right? And when you get all those competing priorities in, in place, what you end up getting out of it is, is things like the F-35, right? But it, it wasn't intended... I think originally to to be a dogfighter. That's the F F twenty two. That's 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 the king of our skies at this point. But we wanted a multi role vehicle that can do everything in the sky, right? That's like saying you know uh, the 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 new Russian tanks, the the Tu forty fives. I think it, they are forty sevens. You know you wouldn't pit a Tu forty seven against a Bradley armored fighting vehicle. That's like a mismatch. The tank would absolutely blast the shit out of this this fighting vehicle. But you might uh, um, pit uh, an Abrams tank against a um, M1 Abrams, the American built tank against the Tu-47. That's a good fight. That's a that's a fair comparison, right? Um, unfortunately, just like the F-35, this is supposed to be the Bradley is supposed to be a support vehicle, right? It's, a, it's supposed to move troops and keep pace with tanks, and it's supposed to keep people relatively safe, and it's supposed to defend itself, and it's supposed to do so in in a way that's you know uh, economic. But it, it, obviously, it it didn't work out that way. It it took like 14 years to build excuse me it took like 17 years to build and like 14 billion dollars and you know that they already cost like three million and change each it's crazy um that's not to say i don't like the the vehicle and just like the f-35 there are things about the f-35 that i really liked and i I pointed them out in great detail in our episode about it but this this armored fighting vehicle is dope i mean it's it's as crazy it is is and as for as many faults as it has, it's pretty cool. I mean, 25 millimeter cannon on top definitely lay down a lot of rounds. You know, if you're just trying to move through, you know, move your troops into an area and make a lot of suppressive fire, this thing is going to light up the place. Uh, the it's also got a, a 7.62 uh, machine gun for like close combat fire with like just infantry, so like you can pr- protect yourself against guys with like RPGs and shit. Um, it's got this like electric turret drive that was built by GE that keeps the, um, the, uh, uh, the main gun stable, even if you're like on bumpy roads and shit. So it's like, think about like a gimbal for, uh, like a drone or like, a, a, a another type of camera. It keeps it like buttery smooth, real, real, uh, easy. So it could shoot while it's driving. And the thing rides at like 40, 40 miles an hour, which is fast for a vehicle this, this heavy and this big. Um, and like the, the long-range anti-tank missile, like this tow missile that's sitting on top, like nothing before this, no no vehicle before this, uh, unless it was specifically an anti-tank vehicle, had anti-tank missiles attached to them. That's pretty fucking badass, you know? So is it a very good troop carrier? Probably not because it doesn't carry enough troops. Is it a really good scout vehicle? Probably not because the thing is massive, right? Is it a good tank? No, because it's not a tank, even though it's borderline one um but it does a bunch of random shit and it sits in kind of this uh uh, operational use case that's kind of all of them you know a a jack of all trades if you will how often do we use the bradley right now all the fucking time (laughs) like all the time uh we've we've been um deploying these things pretty heavily uh into uh, every single war since like the 80s so i think the first time we used it was during desert storm let me just double check on that i had this in my notes somewhere but i've forgotten okay so we, we started in the gulf war um and we lost a couple of them most of them to actually to friendly fire believe it or not um 
And then uh, we also used them heavily in the Iraq uh, and Afghanistan wars. Um, but then we started switching to the uh, more mobile MRAPs, and that's just like another armored fighting vehicle. Uh, we've lost a ton of them, um, but they definitely served a huge purpose in, in pretty much every war uh, that we've been in um, since, since the late, late 80s. So another thing that I want to add to just kind of like the symptoms of the MIC and in, in creating this expensive all-purpose equipment mm-hmm. is that what it does, how, how it uh, seduces congressmen and political yeah. and politicians because these projects, they also create a lot of jobs. They do, yeah. So thousands of them. If you look at Bernie Sanders, and now Bernie Sanders, we got to create lots of jobs across the country. Bernie <laughs> Sanders was he endorsed the F thirty five project, and basically right. he said he said, "Listen, hey, that F thirty five is going to be built somewhere. It might as well be built in Vermont." That's right. Vermont. As did forty seven the- other senators. So you know, like with with the F thirty five, as I pointed out in our last one, they spread out the production of the F-35 across 47 states and nine international countries. So they, they engineer this thing not to fail. They make it so that, you know, uh, if you're a senator, you don't want to be the dick that says, yeah, I don't need another thousand jobs in my state. That's I'm cool with that. No, I don't want this. I don't want this plane. And in the movie, uh, The Pentagon Wars, uh, about the Bradley's production, um, the one general with the fuck? The main Kelsey Grammer's character. You remember this guy's name? I forget already. Uh, I don't. General Partridge, right? So General Partridge is like, all right, well, cool. Well, get me, you know, Senator What's His Face, and you know, just to shut him up, we'll 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 build the the you know the damn tires there, you know. Um, and this is what the military industrial complex does, right? This is like Pentagon 101. If you're building something, if you're if you're you're appropriating billions of dollars towards something. You better spread out your production as far and wide as you can because that will guarantee that nobody's going to say no to it. And when there's problems and you need more money or if, frankly, you're just trying to make more money and you want to manufacture a problem, it's relatively easy to do so because it's not politically expedient to turn down jobs, to turn down economic profit. Yeah, it really puts uh, it puts politicians in a really tough position because they can never say no because it just means it means losing losing a part of their voting base at the end of the day. Because That's if right. you say no to jobs and your political opponent says, "Yeah, I supported that project," will be able to say, "I will be able to bring these jobs into the state," then right. you're in a conundrum right there. So it's just it's just That's kind right. of like one of the very negative things of how the MIC operates and how it seduces politicians into funding things that may not be. Um, in interest of, you know, our soldiers or the American people. That's right. You know, it's, it's and it's a damn shame too because what what gets lost on it um, is you know the the intended purpose, right? So, and this is big in the movie in the Pentagon Wars, um, and it's definitely true uh, for uh, for our F thirty five project right now. Um, is that these these weapons, these vehicles, these things that we're creating are intended to give our troops the edge, you know, the operational edge in, in a combat situation, you know. And when we start getting wrapped up in competing priorities of, you know, um, departments of defense uh, or competing priorities in the military industrial complex, like private companies that want to profit off of this or in political, um, you know, uh, issues, we lose sight 
of the really important point, and that's, you know, the, the troops on the ground or in the air or at sea, you know, the people that these, these um, weapons and these vehicles, these tools are intended for. And so with the Bradley fighting vehicle, you know, there was a lot of big glaring issues about it that that the army and, and, and the folks that were developing this were, were actively trying to suppress just so that we can turn a profit on it, just so we can start building it, just so that they can get their promotions, as they say in the movie. A couple of them were, you know, the like, for example, we talked about you put it, you stick a, a big turret on top of a, a vehicle and then it becomes a target, right? The enemy is going to think, hey, this is dangerous. We need to take it out. So there's the armor problem. So rather than putting really heavy uh, uh, steel armor on it, which would slow down the vehicle and, and basically make it not effective as a as a, a troop carrying device, um, they just left it to the aluminum. And uh, what's fucked up about aluminum is that when it burns, it lets off toxic fumes. So let's say you're riding around in in this vehicle and it's and it's lined with aluminum and it gets hit by you know an incendiary device, you know a grenade, uh, a RPG or some other device, and it burns the the aluminum, well, honestly, that's going to let... Even if you if you don't die in the blast, which is pr- probably pretty likely because aluminum's not very strong uh, in, in terms of, like, uh, uh, um, like, penetration strength, if you're still alive in the vehicle, all of that fume from the burning aluminum is going to kill you or it's severely going to, you know, injure you, uh, basically render you operation, like operationally in- incapable. Um, and, and that portion of it was something that they actively tried to suppress. Uh, and by they, I mean, uh, the folks that were developing, uh, this weapon by basically trying to conduct live fire tests that weren't really live fire tests. So they would, instead of having a full tank of gas, they would have like just enough gas to drive the, 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 the vehicle onto the field to blow it up. Or they would replace the gas with water, right? Which water, go figure, isn't flammable, right? So the thing won't burst. Um, or, you know, if they they wanted to see if the live ammunition that was inside of the vehicle would, like, combust and burn and explode if they got hit, they would replace the, the bullets for the machine gun uh, and take out the gunpowder in the bullets and replace it with sand instead, which is, again not combustible and so they were basically rigging the tests so that so that the 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 test would look like hey this is great this is you know nothing blew up move on to the next one and you know general partridge at least in his depiction in the movie i'm, I'm not certain how you know how much different this was in his testimony his actual testimony to congress but like was very adamant about the fact that like you know they did that on purpose because they couldn't buy you know there wasn't an unlimited supply of them so but again it loses sight of the people that would have been inside of them. Now, had you know, folks like uh, um, Colonel, uh, what the fuck is this guy's name? Why do I keep forgetting these these people's names? Um, Colonel Burton, had it not been for uh, uh, folks like that that you know raised these issues and and really pressed the matter, it's very possible that we could have sent a bunch of death traps onto the onto the field of, of combat with with live human beings inside of them, you know, and it would have been really fucking bad. But as a result of, of, of um, you know, the work that, that folks like uh, um, Colonel Burton did, you know, adjustments and upgrades were made to the vehicles such that, you know, they were largely addressed. 
But I think that's super important. You know, we got to remember that with all these devices and things that we make, we have to keep in mind that people are going to use them, you know, and, and we don't want to lose more troops because we just want to make a buck. Yeah, and that ties into what we began this uh, this podcast on about uh, trying to push through the Saudi nuclear deal just because they certain people on the board wanted to make a buck without having Saudi go through the proper protocol. It's all connected. It's all connected. It's, it's all to screw you and make a buck. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have anything else to say about the Bradley Martin? Or did, like, do do you have anything else to say? Honestly, I think it's pretty cool. I would love to ride around in one. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool. The F thirty five is pretty yeah. fucking dope too. But yeah, it's like, yeah. and when you just think about everything that don't like all the neat things with the helmet and being able to see from the back, like you can see behind you, right from from side to you side, can see through the vehicle. You can see through the airplane. You can crazy. control drones through the through the F thirty five, like all uh-huh. the computing power stuff that the F thirty five has. Um, the fact that it's amphibious, like it can amphibious. Can you speak to it a little bit? I know this is off topic, but F thirty five is amphibious to some regard, uh, right? F- meaning F-35 that it can like, hover. It can hover so, over. That, so that's I, you're you're mixing up some words. So amphibious would be like, you know, the Bradley vehicle is potentially amphibious in the sense okay. that it might be able to submerge itself into water. Amphibious means it can do land and water. Um, you can't put an F thirty five in the water. That's not Obvious, possible. Yeah, I meant um, I meant that, but I meant it's like to some degree it's used by. It, it, so it's, it's used it's used by like marines. So I think you might be referring to the the jump jet in it, like the Harrier engine. Yeah, whereby, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, wh- whereby it could literally be on the ground, and hopefully we can put a, a video of uh, like a demonstration of this. This shit looks like magic. It's you know it's got like this internal engine that like points downwards. And basically causes enough thrust where it could just literally take off from a from just a standing position straight up like an elevator and then take off that way, uh, and that's really really cool. Um, but we have jets that do that, you know. That Harrier is one of them, you know. Um, but with the F thirty five, we have three variants of the F thirty five, and I forget exactly which one it, it is. I think it's a B uh, for the Marines, the ones that use that. Um, basically, we wanted one plane that does everything, and we got three planes that does eh kind of everything you know um it's kind of a quagmire a little bit well i agree when you try to make one thing when you try to make one thing do everything it doesn't do any of those things good Mm -hmm. that's just my interpretation of the bradley like putting a gun on top of a a troop carrier defeats the whole purpose of making a troop carrier if the gun is fucking huge and makes it a target you know right like that just it's just it's just it's impossible to do that. If you're going to put a right. big fucking gun on a troop carrier, then you might as well make it a fucking tank, you know? Well, make but then you can't deadly. carry troops in a tank. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it I know, the but purpose. Yeah. It's, just, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, everyone should just start using a Toyota trucks. <laughs> Tacomas? Tacomas. That's the best way. That's the best yeah. way, form of warfare. Just putting, a gun on a, just putting a gun on a Toyota. Right. They're cheap. For sure, probably get good gas mileage too. Um, what's the blue book value of a Tacoma? I don't know. It depends on what year and and like how many miles it's got on it. But no it's more than twenty thousand. Like, uh, <laughs> a new a new Tacoma was probably like what twenty five G's. Yeah, pro- base model probably twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, between twenty to 30, 30 G's. Fully loaded. A, you got if you want the Bluetooth you know stereo on it, then yeah, it's probably probably looking at about thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, full fully loaded. <laughs> 
yeah, compared yeah. to With the 20-inch rims, you know. <laughs> compared to a, a Bradley, which is what like 16 million dollars a unit or something like that. 3, three million, but 3 million you remember well, that it also costs like 14 billion dollars to develop it, so. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you think it costs Toyota to develop the Tacoma? I don't know, a couple, probably like $100 million, but that's it's all relative because they're selling millions of these trucks, so. I know. Um, but at the same time, like the Toyota truck <laughs> does so much in the battlefield. It's it does. So dirt. I mean, it does so much in terms of desert warfare. It does, it does, but, you know, we don't use them for those purposes, you know, but the other side certainly does. We've got our well, own trucks, all right? You ever seen a Humvee before? <laughs> It's really fascinating how Toyota trucks were used as humpies, basically, and all in for thirty years in the Middle East in desert warfare. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's for another episode. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, we don't want to dive too deep into that can of worms right now. Nope. All right. Um, we're on for an hour right now. Um, any closing words? Um. Yeah, just just pay attention to where money goes and like why and how it's being spent, um, whether that's you know in the government, in the military industrial complex, or frankly in your own you know in your own home. Where the money gets spent tells you a lot about what the motivations are, and uh, I think that's kind of the overarching theme of today's episode. TG One promo video. <laughs> Cue it right now. Cue it. <laughs> My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.